Hey Queen, welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. And I'm the other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. No, because the only person who knows how everything makes sense in the world is Lisa Rinna. Oh, she really does. <laughs> She's the only one winning completely <laughs> at life as far as the I'm spiritual concerned. hustle of Lisa Rinna. Yeah, someday. We'll Someday have we'll have her in this spirit room. Oh, what a dream that would be. It'll be a dream. Okay. Sorry. We're a little obsessed with her. If you couldn't tell. Um, let's introduce ourselves right off the bat. Yeah. Hi. Uh, I'm Angel Lopez. Yes, you are. I am an astrologer and a writer and a producer and one half of the spiritual gaze and one half of this relationship because I'm also your husband. You are my husband. And who are you? Uh, who am <laughs> Besides I? Besides my husband. <laughs> uh, I'm Brandon Alter. I am a tarot reader and teacher. I'm a writer. I'm a performer. And um, yeah, I'm a spiritualista. Yes, you is, honey. Yeah, girl. Um, and if you couldn't tell, we're also a bit of a spiritual weirdos. Yeah, we're spiritual weirdos. <laughs> but we just go with the flow of who we are. And this is just who we are. And this is our, uh, you know, biweekly opportunity to express ourselves. Yeah, to come out of the, the spiritual closet because we both came out of the queer closet a long time ago. We did. And coming out of the spiritual closet has been a whole other thing. And we're excited to have uh, others with us who yeah. have been in the process of doing the same. And that would be you all. Y'all gazers. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, seriously. Um, so why don't we just jump in, honey? How how are you? Let's just check in. Uh, how am I? Yeah. I'm <laughs> tired. Oh. I'm not used to being so busy. I've been mm -hmm. very busy recently. And so I am relearning how to adjust my energy levels and what I need. Um, it's funny, I think a lot of us have a tendency to get really busy and then we take care of ourselves after the fact. Mm -hmm. And I'm really trying to explore what do I need before? Like what do I need to do in the first part of my day before I am so busy to help just kind of buoy me through? It's like right. a lot more like preventative medicine as opposed to the opposite of that. So what does that look like for you? I mean, really, it's looking more and more like what are my boundaries, like setting my boundaries with myself and others, prioritizing like what really needs to be done in a day, figuring out what sort of activities fill my cup as opposed to deplete my cup. Mm -hmm. So my big intention for the Libra new moon, which happened last week, Monday, um, was to be focusing more on my own creative endeavors because those sorts of like private creative pursuits, even though it does cost me some energy to do it, it fills me up so much more. Mm -hmm. And I've been focusing a lot these past few months on just like my spiritual entrepreneurship and creating classes and building my business. And I love doing it. I love offering this stuff, but that's not a substitute for the creative vision and stories that I have to offer to the world. So I really need to up my level on that. Yeah. So that's part of what it looks like. Cause it's like, if I wait until the end of the day to do some of my creative writing, it's not going to happen. Right. So that's part of what it looks like. Um, and then also just taking care of myself emotionally and what that looks like, because I can definitely let all my Aries planets get 
ahead of me and I get very excited helping people. I get excited off other people's excitement and I can definitely give more than I actually have to give, Mm -hmm. Um, especially as I've been teaching more classes and I've had a lot more students than usual. And so it's just learning for me how to take care of myself while I'm taking care of other people as well. Yeah, yeah. So how about you, honey? What's your check-in? What's going on with you? Um, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I, you know, obviously I have my things here and there that I'm managing my way through, but really trying to just like up my frequency game these days. Um, I've noticed myself just being in the bit of the like dumps for the last few months. This whole, you know, speaking of retrogrades, everything was in retrograde. So everything was a little bit backwards and upside down and, you know, challenged and I feel like we're just collectively kind of coming into clarity so I've been really trying my best to uh I guess specifically up my optimism game so I've gotten really intensely back into affirmation work Mm. which I did really heavily gosh it was like probably 16 years ago um When I lived in New York City, I got really intensely into affirmation work and basically that just being, you know, sitting and coming up with, you know, total like positive reinforcement statements to sort of speak into my mind and, you know, say out loud when I can, Uh, you know, it's really sort of helping to like push your mind into a new way of thinking because my mind can definitely go negative uh, just based out of lots of shit. And obviously given the world we live in too, it's easy to just like fall into a place of powerlessness. Yeah. So I've been trying to tap more into my power, which is not always easy for me. Uh, so having these affirmations just on a personal spiritual level to work with, I feel like it's, I've already really felt the shift um, it's helped push me toward, uh, getting back in touch with my body because mm. I've had a lot of self-hatred around my body. You also just had a lot of like physical issues recently too. Yeah. Which I think manifested from the self-hatred. Yeah. You but know? I'm proud of you cause you've really, I've told you, you've really like doubled down on your self-care these past few weeks. Yeah, you've I've really taken care of, up. yeah, it's been beautiful to witness. Thank you. Yeah. I just, you know, realized that. I think even just from like a practical standpoint, you know, I'm at an age where the body starts to like, you're like at the peak and you're starting to like (laughs) slowly start to head downhill. So I think it's, you know, trying to make that more of a like slow hike down as opposed to a, oh my God, I'm skidding and I can't stop. Yeah. And we could even reframe that too. In yoga, we talk about if you could just maintain the practice you have now Mm -hmm. for the next 30, 40, 50 years, right? Like if I could be an 80 year old man doing a yoga practice that looks like what I'm doing right now, Mm -hmm. I would be, I would be in business. Yeah. So really it's just about maintenance at this point. For sure. Like stretching has become my new friend, which is something that I, you know, I'm sure some people out there listening are like, uh, yeah, I stretch. Oh my gosh. In class, it is so hard for me to get people to hold stretches, even for just like 45 seconds. Yeah, it's having patience, right? On well, some level that people like don't like to deal with it because it's patience. Not only is it patience, but it's being patient with something that's uncomfortable. Right. So you are literally forcing people to stay in something uncomfortable. Well, as someone who understands that on multiple levels, uh, yeah, 
it's not easy to be patient with uncomfortable feelings. Yeah. But what's interesting is, is I say, you know, like you have to hold a stretch for at least studies vary, but it's like 45 to 90 seconds in Mm -hmm. order for there to actually be like increased flexibility. So if you're holding a stretch for less than that, while it may feel nice or not so nice, like you're not really giving yourself any real benefit. Yeah. So I always say it's so interesting to notice how you want to exit the stretch right before that breakthrough moment. It's like this theme that I think we've been exploring about like quitting right before the finish line Mm -hmm. and even how that manifests in the body. Like right before 45 seconds, people are like out of the stretch. And I'm like, no, 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 just hold it for 10 more seconds and maybe we'll actually stretch that ligament out a little bit, you know? Yeah, for sure. But I get it. It's not easy to sit in the uncomfortable, but that's really our goal is if you can become comfortable in the uncomfortable, the world is your fucking oyster. Oh, I know. I just finished uh, listening to Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness, uh, which I read physically and now just listened to on Audible. And which is great because she has a fabulous voice. Oh, it was so fun. I was so sad it ended and then I found out she had a new book come out and then it's available on Audible and I can't wait to download it. Oh. But uh, basically, you know, a lot of what she is saying is like, finding your way into the uncomfortable and being willing to have those uncomfortable confrontations, conversations, not just with others, but also on some level with yourself, you know? Um, So I think it's like really important for us to sort of allow ourselves into that uncomfortable space, not be fully afraid of it. And that feels very Venus and Scorpio, does it not? For sure. Relate to yourself on just a deep level and with others yeah oh completely and also the potentiality for beauty that can come out of that yeah i think some of the most beautiful pieces of art poetry film dance music come from artists that were able to walk bravely into their own darkness Mm -hmm. and then come out with these beautiful gifts to share you know completely and those are the like artists that you know people really relate to on such a like yeah intense level too if you think about your favorite song book what have you it's one that has touched your soul yeah your core so even as artists it's important to like pay attention to what it is you're trying to say yeah as well as just like i think especially trying to make yeah i think especially artists have to be you know practiced at being uncomfortable yeah but if anything uh just start with stretching if you're not doing it yet yeah that's just your first assisted, homework just some assisted stretching to the new kim petra cp okay that works that sounds great <laughs> um all right cool well that's that's us that's where we're at yeah should we uh we're gonna do a little dose of reality heck yeah and then we'll move into our deep dive into basic astrology for non-basics sounds gorgeous all right so this is uh this episode's dose Dose of of reality so we're gonna start off by i think just closing the loop on Below Deck Mediterranean. Yes, which had its finale a couple of weeks ago, and then there was a reunion, and so we just wanted to close that portal for y'all, because I have a feeling we opened that portal for y'all. Well, we know for a fact <laughs> we opened that portal for a couple yeah, people. Yeah, some, some listeners were like, we've been watching Below Deck Mediterranean, why aren't you talking about it anymore? <laughs> so, uh, so there was the reunion where they just rehashed everything, yeah. And it was a very satisfying reunion because I, I felt so. like particularly Joao, mm-hmm. who was kind of carrying on two relationships at once during filming, was kind of confronted with his duplicity and basically just his like weaselness. And it was just kind of, it's nice when you see justice being served. 
Yeah, and he kind of weaseled his way through it. And, you know, maybe he became a better person on the other side. Maybe. We'll see, because he'll definitely get another season. Yeah, I think Captain so. Captain Sandy was obsessed. Yeah, she really was. She was glamored by him. Yeah. And speaking of glamour, Hannah looked glamorous. She did. And she took a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I think she had to. I mean, after watching that season, how could you not watch yourself back and be like, wow, I, I was heinous. I mean, many housewives do not take responsibility. <laughs> so she could have followed Very suit. True. But no, she took responsibility for everything. She apologized and... I think it takes a lot of courage, especially on a reality TV show, to admit when you have been terrible at your job or let your ego get the best of you. I mean, it's hard, I think, for us to say that just in intimate relationships. So to Mm -hmm. say that in front of the world is no small feat. Yeah, I don't think I'm Team Hannah once again, but you know what? No, you're certainly not. No, (laughs) I'm definitely Team Australian accent. Yes, Team Australian accent. You've been getting some uh, Australian love lately, it seems. I have. Nobody's commented on the accent, which I think is probably pretty generous. (laughs) But it's nice to know that I haven't... uh, Tend our Australian listeners against us. No, they're they're actually now reaching out to you. So I think you have definitely touched something in their heart. Yes, <laughs> I do believe I have. Um, real quick too, Casey, by the way, also looked very glamorous. She came like fully like Real Housewives reunion. Yeah, ready, she had I the thought. full face beat. And yeah, she was, was like, it was great. Oh, it was, I mean, it was like not a Real Housewives-esque reunion, but she would have been there for it if so. Maybe she was wearing Giovanni. Giovanni. She might have been, I don't know. Uh, but also now that opened the doorway up to the usual below deck, which I have not really been a fan of. I've recently gotten into it. I don't really care for the captain, Captain Lee. Yeah, Captain Lee, who's just like a straight white guy who's kind of like what you would expect to see Captain to be. He's kind of a curmudgeon. He's kind of barnacly. Yeah, but it does house your favorite castmate and probably my favorite castmate of the whole uh, series. Chief Stew, Kate. Yes. And she's just really good at her job. And she doesn't take herself too seriously. And she knows she's on a reality show. And she really milks the shit out of it. Yeah, but she's also just like very funny. She's very dry. Tell it like it is. And I'm a big fan. I've welcomed her into our lives again with open arms. Oh, I'm glad. I'm excited to see how this uh, season plays out. They're in Tahiti, which is gorgeous. And And the cast is like tolerable so far. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested. So just to be clear, y'all, Below Deck was the original franchise, and then Below Deck Mediterranean was the spinoff, which we really took to because we love that Captain Sandy. Mm-hmm. But now we're returning to the original franchise, Below Deck. Yes. So uh, if you're out there and a Below Deckian as uh, well as us, let us know. Yeah. Um, and also just now I want to give a quick shout out to one of our favorites of all time, Alyssa Edwards. Oh, who has a show on Netflix called Dancing Queen. You guys have to be watching this show. I mean, it's kind of like a Dance Moms, which I was never a fan of, uh, never really watched, but... This show has everything, though. Yeah. It hits on all levels. Yeah, Alyssa Edwards, if you don't know, was one of uh, RuPaul's uh, Drag Race drag queens. Yes. Both of our favorite. Well, be- she down. literally is our number one favorite drag queen to come out of RuPaul's Drag yes. Race. Not like only- our Lisa Rinna. Yes, she's the Lisa Rinna of the drag queens. <laughs> That's how it goes. Totally. Yeah, she was not only on RuPaul's Drag Race, I can't remember which season, but she was also on an All-Star season. All-Star season two, which is, to me, the pinnacle of the entire franchise. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. And Alyssa Edwards, 
uh, boy named Justin mm-hmm. owns a dance company called Beyond Belief Dance Company, which yes. is for um, children up until I think 18 years old. Mm-hmm. It's in Texas. Mesquite. Mesquite, Texas. Mm-hmm, honey. And so this reality show follows his kind of dual life as being this um, no-nonsense, award-winning dance teacher and choreographer by yes, day. multiple award-winning. I mean, snatching those trophies. Oh, left and right. And then by night, he's Alyssa Edwards, this like glamazon, over-the-top, fabulous drag queen. Just the funniest one-liners you've ever fucking seen. Yeah, mostly because he opens his mouth and he does not know where he's going. No, and sometimes, sometimes they don't land. And sometimes they don't land and he just like looks to the left or just does this. <laughs> as if that like, as if that's <laughs> that the period. The of, yeah. But it does. It's pretty hilarious oh i'm so obsessed um and what's great too is that you get his talking head like as boy justin commenting on the action Mm -hmm. but then you also get Alyssa talking about the action and she will sometimes as if they're different people which i really respect she'll be like if i was there i would tell justin to do this differently but it's like they're the same person Uh, but they're not so good and as somebody with an alter ego i totally understand how complicated that relationship can be yeah that's true i see it with my own eyes here yeah that's true (laughs) so uh you can watch all eight episodes yeah and there's a musical number every episode yeah sometimes they're good sometimes they're not so good. yeah but, but regardless the show is great the show is great it's very uplifting uh he has been through so much in his life is such a beacon of light for so many people yeah like, and one of my favorite quotes was he was saying to all of his students like if you have a flamboyant teacher like me i cannot let you go out in the world being basic <laughs> And I just want to translate that. And if you are listening to us flamboyant homosexuals on the spiritual gaze, Mm -hmm. then it's our job to make sure that y'all ain't basic. Truth. So that's part of what this episode is going to be, you know, elevating you to non-basic astrology. Yes, honey. We're here for you. Yeah. We're here for all of you. All right, cool. Well, should we just... Yeah. Start the dive? Yeah. Do it all? Put on your scuba gear, everybody, because it's time for this episode's Deep Dive. We thought that because we probably have some new gazers listening in, uh, that we would do a basic astrology for non-basics. Yeah, because y'all love some astrology talk. Yeah, and we really want to give you our kind of 101 class in one episode about astrology. So we'll see how far we get. Um, We got some great questions from y'all and we tried to kind of notice what the similar themes were with those questions to try and address as many of them as possible. Yeah, for sure. Um, So astrology is a language. It is a language. And like a language, you are always learning and evolving your vocabulary. So we just want to give you some basics. And of course... This is our opinion. Angel has 20 years of astrology experience. I've got probably 10. And between us, we agree and we disagree on things. But we're just wanting to open up this portal for y'all. And so um, we're trying to break this into three acts. So our first act is going to be just about like your sun, your moon, and your rising. And what is a birth chart? So Angel, you want to take it away? Yeah, sure. And like Brandon said, yeah, I've definitely been studying astrology and have been uh, working with people on uh, their charts and such for uh, quite some time now. And so through that, have definitely gotten my own sort of take on certain things. Um, But, you know, I feel like there's a lot of general stuff out there and then it becomes all experiential. 
So yeah, as Brandon said, we got a lot uh, earlier. We got a lot of questions in from everyone. We put it out to y'all. To... And thank you so much for sending us your questions. Yeah, we got a bunch of really good ones to the point where we can't actually tackle all of them. So we'll have to have a Basics for Non-Basics Volume 2 at some point. But also what we tried to do is if we couldn't address your question individually, we tried to look at what like the overall theme of your question was. Yeah. So I think we're going to do a pretty good job of addressing that. Yeah, I think so. But so somebody, you know, out there, um, I believe it was uh, Philip from Illinois. Illinois. Philip from Illinois wrote in. <laughs> who is just one of our, our queens and our... In our, who lives in our castle, but uh, was just curious, actually, you know, what was like the basic history of astrology or the non-basic history of astrology? And we are not astrology historians, but we certainly did a little research for y'all, and here's what we came up with. Well, and just also what we know, you know, and essentially, yeah, astrology was uh, something that was very prevalent in so many ancient societies the babylonians uh the egyptians the greeks the greeks the romans uh you know the beginning of chinese culture all of them had some form of astrological uh you know sort of ideology in their lives you know and for a really long time astrology and astronomy were the same thing exactly yeah, it was very much just about how do we utilize the movement of the planets, the stars, to give us a sense of when we should be planting things, um, which then broke down to, oh, the, this certain system created this and these people or this king was born under that. So now that it's come back around again, a new king will be born um, so it was really a lot of that sort of thinking. What we I would think, call as like predictive event-based yeah, astrology. Completely. Not so much like the personality-based astrology or the personal astrology that we now are mostly interested in. Mm -hmm. But the original astrology, yeah, was about that sort of predictive event. Like when's fishing going to be good? Exactly. When's the harvest? Yeah, so it was all predicting things like from agriculture to politics to all types of things that then, you know, utilized certain constellations, which we now know as the Zodiac. Mm -hmm. And, you you know, I think people then, more, you know, modern, but modern being the last probably like 400 years, started to see this sort of general correlation between all of these things and sort of really gave birth to the, you know, system that we all sort of now look at and... It was really just in the last like 120 years or so, I think that it became more about personality and personal and sort of what we all utilize today. Yeah, for sure. Or I think uh, our friend Jeff, who has a podcast called Cosmic Cousins, mm -hmm. and we were just on it uh, for his last Libra episode, he talks about soul-centered astrology, mm -hmm. which I think is a nice way to look at it. It's not just about your personality, which can sometimes seem a little flat or frivolous, yeah. We're not just talking about personality. We're talking about the characteristics of your soul, of your essence. Exactly. And I think that that's, you know, um, something that gets lost a little bit in the translation um, of just horoscopes in general. Um, though I do think now the world that we live in, most horoscopes, even if you look at like Elle magazine, are talking on like a deeper level than just like, today you're going to meet a man. Yeah. Um, because that's kind of, I think, become more synonymous with astrology. Um, basically, you know, what astrology does is it takes your exact time, date, and, you know, place of birth and creates a chart for you, which I always say is like 
a snapshot of where everything was when you were born, the sun, the moon, and the various planets. And um, there is what we call a chart wheel, which has 12 houses. Um, and each house represents a different area of life, and all the planets fall into those. Um, and we'll get more into the houses a little bit later. Um, but, you know, the, the big thing that everyone kind of always is interested in the way in, uh, if you will, to a chart uh, can be a lot of the times your sun, your moon, your rising, what I like to call the big three. Yeah, or your triple tier. Mm-hmm. And I'll just share this quote from Carl Jung, which is, we are born at a given moment in a given place. And like vintage years of wine, we have the qualities of the year and of the season in which we are born. You know what? I love that because I would always refer to charts uh I would be like, yeah, so each one is like a snowflake, but now I like can't use the term snowflake yeah, anymore. Totally. So now you can like, call it, each one's yeah, like a so bottle of like, wine. You're like a bottle, your own bottle of Pinot Grigio. Yeah, but you are the physical embodiment of all of these celestial, planetary, and asteroidal energies at the moment of your birth. And mm-hmm. your job is to express that as fully as possible. And so your chart is a map how to understand, oh, what am I what am I supposed to express? Not because like this is being put upon you, but because this is your authenticity. If you were born with Mars and Scorpio, that was a specific question and we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> then your job is to figure out how can I express that Mars and Scorpio energy? Yeah, cuz your chart sort of gives you like a blueprint for all of the strengths that you were brought into this world with. And also the weaknesses. (laughs) Well, I prefer the term or the word challenges. Totally. (laughs) You know, and and so it is really an opportunity for you to, you know, understand yourself a little better. It's such a tool for self-awareness. So I even, you know, I would say that if you are someone who is just like, okay, you know, really astrology, like a little bit of a side eye, um, it's worth just, you know, if you can access your exact time, date, and place in birth, you know, to go on, look at a chart, and just start to read, like, some of the basic sort of things about your sun, your moon, your rising, but also where your Mars is, where your Venus is, where your Jupiter is, because that's when you really start to break it down. That For me, that was really, once I realized that there were so many other elements to it beyond just, you know... Oh, I'm a I'm an Aries. Oh, I have a Cancer moon. Like once I was like, oh, I have Jupiter and Taurus in the first house. Like and reading what that was, I was like, oh, damn. Okay, that's really interesting. And then beyond, beyond, beyond. So and that's why just because two people share a sun sign doesn't mean that they're the same person at all. Exactly. Because what you're really talking about are all of the planets and then other asteroids and then the relationships that those planets have to each other, which we would call aspects. Yeah, and it's that basic look, and I use basic in the term that we all understand it to mean now. It's that basic look that I think gives astrology a bad rep. Yeah. people go, oh, well, I'm a Gemini and like... And she's a Gemini and we're totally different. Yeah, so that's lame. It's and so bullshit. It's... <laughs> Why did we become just like bitchy queens? I know. Uh, but yeah. anyhow, you know, and I think it's when you have to, you know, allow yourself to explore it a bit more. Um, so, yeah, I think so, you know, the sun, the moon rising, which we're talking about, the, the, the big three. I mean, yeah. I always even like to look at the sun, moon rising as the soul, the heart, and the face. Sun, soul, moon, heart, rising, face. Um, 
And if I can just break that down, you know, because sun, you know, it's what we normally know as just like your personality. That's what they always say. And I definitely think it is that to some degree, but I always like to boil it down a little further and like consider it your soul essence. Mm. You know, I actually always say it's like the most comfortable chair in your room, in your house. You know, it's like the energy that like you're most comfortable in. And that's your sun sign. Yeah. It's like the energy you know best. And also I would say... It's your soul's purpose. Mm -hmm. It's like the work that you came here on this planet to do is your sun sign, your soul work. Yeah, it's your most accessible yeah. tool. Uh, whereas then the moon, you know, like I said, is the heart. Um, I always just sort of break that easily down to it's how we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. Or how we get our needs met. Yeah, yeah. Because through loving ourselves, we then express what we need, you know, either in the positive or the negative way. Yeah. And those two things are important. We need both of them. You need the sun and you need the moon. You need your soul's purpose, but you also need your heart's path. Right? Yeah, very much so. So I would say your moon sign is as important as your sun sign, as important as your rising sign. For example, if we uh, ever do like an in-person astrology workshop, I would group moon signs together. Instead of grouping mm -hmm. sun signs together, group moon signs together because then you have people who all have similar needs and similar ways in getting those needs met. And that would be a more interesting way to form conversation. Yeah. No, I think that is such a cool idea. Yeah. And something fun to play with for sure. And so then you're rising because we had a specific question about, you know, tell me more about the rising sign. Yeah. It was what's the impact of the rising sign? I heard it's how others see you, but is there more to it? So Angel says your rising is your face, meaning it's how people perceive you, but also the lens through which you perceive the world. Yeah, I always say it's like, um, you know, on one hand, yeah, the first impression that you make on, on people. But I also say it's sort of the filter through which everything comes, everything else comes through. Totally. So that's why on some hand, you know, you'll hear sometimes, oh, you're, uh, you know, people being surprised that like someone's a cancer. Like, oh, you're a cancer. You don't seem like one. And I think that has a lot to do with the rising and what it's filtering through because, you know, it's really the cancer being seen through something else sometimes, you know, whereas if you are a cancer sun and a cancer rising, you're a little bit more what you see is what you get. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there is also an ideology around the rising sign that it is sort of the energy that you're supposed to be moving toward, mm -hmm. which I actually think is really interesting and really um, relevant because if you think about it, on some hand, if you are uh, coming across as your rising sign, it does work in your favor to move toward that energy because it's then helping you to express more authentically. You know, it's sort of allowing you to help others see you and connect to you in a way that is inside you. So if you do have that soul essence, that sun soul essence of one sign, it doesn't mean that you, you know, I'm not saying suppress that. I'm saying that is still the greatest tool in your tool shed. But if you have a different rising, it's important for you to figure out how do I need to uh, embody more of that essence so that the filter people are getting isn't confusing. Mm -hmm. And we can think about your rising or also known as your ascendant. They're the same thing. And that is literally what sign was on the horizon at the moment of your birth. 
Yes. What sign was rising? And so you can think about, oh, for my whole life, I am trying to meet this sign. I'm rising towards it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'd love to just, I'll share my own. I'm an Aries rising. Yes, you is, honey. And I'm an Aquarius sun. Mm -hmm. So when people meet me, their first thought is like, oh, this is a leader because Aries are leaders. That is when, that was my first thought. When was I that your first thought? You're like, oh, this is a leader. <laughs> no, but like people meet me and they think like, oh, this is the sort of person that like gets shit done. This is somebody who can take charge. This is like a big personality. You're a big personality with a lot of energy. Yeah. When the truth is, is, well, that's not untrue. I'm a lot more like collaborative because I'm an Aquarius sun than most people would think. Are you? Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. <laughs> I mean, I am. I mean, I like collaboration. I like delegation. At yeah. the end of the day, I don't want to do it all myself. No, exactly. Um, but learning how to step in to my Aries energy and to relate to myself as a leader and realizing that, you know what, while I can be collaborative and working in a collective, things are probably going to move more quickly if I just take ownership and decide to be the boss. Well, and the Aquarius is very much in tune with the collective good. Yeah. So to be a leader for the collective good, I think is something that is probably a good combination for you to move toward. Totally. So it's just one way to kind of think about, oh, how can these two things be partnered together? Yeah. Everybody's got all 12 signs and all 12 houses in their chart. Nobody doesn't have them. Even if you don't have anything in one of those houses or chart, it doesn't mean that you don't have access to that energy. Mm -hmm. So it's important not to think like, oh, this is good and this is bad. It's just all different pieces of medicine you can have access to. Yeah. No, definitely. I was just thinking about myself being an Aries son with a Taurus rising, um, you know, I definitely, you know, have a safe energy of like, oh, I'm going to do that now. This just needs to get done. And I sort of have to learn a little bit of like, you know, well, do it, but have a method to the approach. Mm. Don't just dive in. And that's been something I've been pushing toward of having a little more sort of groundedness and structure to things, um, but also self-worth and self-value. But story for another time uh and then i think something we wanted to just say in general about this sun moon uh you know particularly the moon actually is you know the moon uh you know it changes signs every sort of two to three two two and a half days um so you know as you get more in touch with you know certain aspects of yourself and sort of all the aspects of yourself you can then start to pay attention to well where is the moon now and what house is it in for me? How does it affect me? Mm -hmm. And how do I sort of utilize what energy is most at play for me right now? Yeah. I mean, something as simple as figuring out whether you were born during the day or during the night would also give you an indication of, oh, is the moon more of a ruler or is the sun mm -hmm. more of a ruler mm -hmm. in my life? And I would just say in this patriarchal, capitalistic, heteronormative society in which we live there's a lot more emphasis put on the sun on the masculine on the solar so everyone knows their sun sign but not everybody knows their moon sign so yeah. i think for example i start off the show by saying the moon is in capricorn i'm a capricorn moon i know that usually affects me it just gives me another way to be able to communicate with myself mm -hmm. exactly. so you might just start to realize like oh you know when moon's in scorpio i definitely feel a little bit more emotional than when moon is in aquarius just good to know for yourself Maybe don't schedule a meeting with your boss if you know Moon's going to be in Scorpio. <laughs> Unless you really want to get that damn point across. Yeah, exactly. So the other thing that we want to talk about too is like with your sun, your rising, and your moon, the degree at which 
this exists because there are 30 degrees in every sign. So you are either a, you're from zero to 29 degrees of mm-hmm. any sign. And it's my personal belief that as you get deeper and deeper into the sign, you are expressing the energy of that sign more purely. So it would be my experience that as a 26 degree Aquarius, I'm bringing a lot more pure Aquarius energy than somebody who's coming in at two degrees Aquarius. Mm -hmm. They might be coming in with still, they're still an Aquarius, but they're closer to Capricorn. So they might be coming in with a more of a blend of Capricorn and Aquarius energy. Whereas me, you know, at 26, I'm like pretty pure Aquarius, maybe even starting to bring some of that Pisces energy. Right. It's a blend. Yeah. Though I do think on some hand, I sort of have in my experience with reading, uh, also find that there's something to be said about I'm a zero degrees or I'm a 29 degrees, um, specifically meaning that I always consider like if I find someone who's like a zero or a one of something, mm-hmm. that they're very much here to really sort of like be a baby to that energy mm. and sort of fumble really apprentice around. it. Yeah, fumble around in it. Whereas if you're here at a 29 degree, then you're really here to like master that. And transcend it. Master and transcend in its purest form. So we, uh, as example, there we have a friend who is a 29 degree Pisces. And, you know, I've always found that for her, it's very much about like, how do you get to that purest form of just like spiritual, soulful connection and utilizing creativity to manifest that out into the world? Those pure you know, Pisces elements, um, which I believe she is on the path of. So I think it's really interesting to also consider that. But to your point, if you're a 29 degree Pisces and you're mastering something, you're going to then utilize that to be on some level a leader as well, which is part of that Aries. Exactly. Totally. Which brings us into cusps. And what is a cusp? And People have all sorts of different opinions about this. You know, some people feel like if you are on the cusp of something, which means that you would be like a 29 degree something or a one degree something, that maybe you're not that you're. So, for example, if I'm a 29 degree Aquarius and the next sign is Pisces, some cusp people might be like, well, you're more of a Pisces than you are an Aquarius because you're on the cusp. Right. I guess I always like hate that, too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, I think I think cusp energy exists just in the sense that it's a wheel you know and that everything has relationship to everything else Mm -hmm. but if you're a 29 degree aquarius you're an aquarius you're not a pisces yes and if you're a one degree scorpio you're a scorpio true you're not a libra nope so even though you might be cuspy you know like you might be coming in with some of that libra energy Mm -hmm. as a one degree scorpio Mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta just accept the fact that you're a one degree scorpio yeah, though of course I think we all we all know those cuspy people. We do. <laughs> where we're not sure if they're gay or straight. Is that not what we're talking about? That was kind of what I was talking oh, about. Oh, okay. Um, not that I'm here to like pull anyone out of it. Look, anything. y'all, it's twenty eighteen. Everything's a spectrum. You know what I'm saying? Like we're all living in the we're gray all a little area. Cuspy. <laughs> we're all a little cuspy. But that yeah. doesn't mean that you can negate what you were born into. Yeah. And I would say, you know, like the paradoxical theory of change is that you can't change anything until you accept it. So you need to accept that you are a 29 degree Aquarius, that your Jupiter is at one degree Sagittarius, accept it. And then you can start to change it, work with it, explore what else might also be true. 
<laughs> I love that you're just like demanding people. It's just accept that you're an Aquarius. Damn it. Just accept it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I completely get it. And, um, you know, the uh, cusps are always an interesting thing when I have that come up for me uh, in readings when people are like, you know, but, you know, but, uh, but don't you think he's on the cusp? And I'm like, yeah, girl, but at the end of the day, like that's a Libra. Yeah. Um, but I do think the other element too is that you can't, you know, you're not only maybe cuspy on a sign, but you can also be cuspy on a house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I speak from experience. And what I just mean by that is that you can be born with a planet uh, or the sun or moon basically sitting on the uh, border of two houses. So let's right now just tell people what houses are. Houses are basically, yeah, there are 12 of them. Like the 12 signs of the zodiac. Exactly. So each one represents one of those energies. Mm-hmm. And they are um, basically, yeah, 12 areas where everything falls into. So they, the first house is the Aries house, which is the house that rules the self on some level. You know, people will say the ego, you know, but it is your relationship to yourself, your personality, um, you know, sort of how you step into the world. Yeah. Well, one way to think about it is these 12 houses represent the 12 different realms of your life and so the house is where in your life you're going to find these energies really acting on stage yeah exactly um so you have that first house you have the second house which is the taurus house the house that rules finances money but also you know i would say you know because things of value yeah what you value what your values are yeah but i also think that that includes self-value and self-worth as well Mm -hmm. because you know that's an expression of value in the material world absolutely and i am a material girl yes girl preach Uh, (laughs) third house third house is the house of communication yeah the gemini house yeah and so now that's to help you understand the houses, you can think of the first house as Aries, second house Taurus, third house Gemini, and just keep going. But they will not necessarily be in your chart the same sign in the same house. No, exactly. In fact, it's probably going to be pretty unusual. Unless you are an Aries rising, your houses and your signs are not going to match up. No. So, for example, you might have Jupiter in Scorpio in the 12th house not Jupiter in Scorpio in the eighth house, which would be the matching house. Right. So just know we're talking about two different things here. The signs and the houses, they're separate and they all exist in your chart. They will overlap in a unique way based on your ascendant. Mm -hmm. But an easy way to think about, oh, what are the houses is just to pair them with the signs. So the third house, the Gemini house, is all about communication. Yeah. How you communicate, what you communicate, how you think about yourself and how you and you know how you think how you write and how you sort of communicate all of that out into the world beautiful the fourth house the is, cancer house yes home and family so um yeah how we relate to our home our family the family we were born into and then of course the families we create for ourselves uh but then also our roots and our like personal foundation even and you know? where you feel most at home where you feel most because some people feel most at home in a boardroom well, exactly. You know, it's cancer. So it's like the, 
the crab shell. Exactly. You take it where you where, where you is go. your shell. So that's mm-hmm. why it would be interesting to look at oh what sign occupies my fourth house. Exactly. Cuz if you're like a fourth house Sagittarius, mm-hmm. then you're going to feel most at home when you're traveling, when you're learning. Exactly. Whereas if you're a fourth house like Capricorn, you're going to feel probably most at home when you're like working in your on your career goals. Totally. Most at home on Wall Street. Yes, in pumps. In pumps with your briefcase. Yes, queen, you own everything. The fifth house is the Leo house, Mm -hmm. the house of creativity. Yeah, and children. Um, So it's all things that we create. It's also the house of romance. Oh, it is? Yes. Only because Leo rules the heart. Yeah, and dating. I mean, because Leo also rules fun. So it's very much like how you like to have fun, which is funny because I have Virgo ruling my fifth house, which means my fun has to be a little bit like controlled (laughs) yeah how about every sunday angel buys so many flowers from the farmer's market and then he comes home and he puts them in beautiful vases and arrangements all throughout the house and that is a hoot and a holler for him that is how i have fun i usually put on some music though while i do usually do yeah but it's very structured and even how i approach my creativity um is very much that i'm a perfectionist when it comes to my creativity which is probably why i don't get a lot of it done guys but it's fine working on it sixth house is the Virgo house. Yep, and it's your day-to-day. Mm-hmm. It's your daily habits, responsibilities. It's your routine. Yes, honey, your nine-to-five. Yes, girl, but also like your morning ritual. Yeah. And your evening clearing practice. Mm-hmm. And, you know. And they even say, you know, there's like, and health and fitness. So how you approach your health, your fitness, your well-being. Yeah, your physical body. Yes. Yeah, the self-care. sixth house is the house of the physical body. Uh, seventh house? It's the house of relationships. It's the Libra house. Partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, How you love others. Yeah. To some degree. <laughs> Why do we get all quiet about that one? Well, because I don't <laughs> want to make things too complicated, but I also wanted to bring up the fact that every sign has a polar opposite sign. And that oh, yes. to be a fully embodied version of that sign you also lean into your polar opposite Mm -hmm. so aries and libra they are opposite each other on the wheel yeah so that first house that seventh house they're opposite because the first house is all about me 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 Mm -hmm. and the seventh house is all about partnership exactly so learning how to blend that so to be a really good aries to be a fully you know like high vibe aries you also have to know something about partnership yeah and to be a fully high vibe libra to like be really expressing partnership you have to know something about being an individual yeah and being a confident individual so again this is where the blend happens this is where it's a conversation happening within the chart uh eighth house (laughs) is the scorpio house and our little Scorpio moon, Noche, oh, it just walked into the spirit room and is jumping starts up on Angel right now. Yeah, starts me. scratching up a storm. But the eighth house is the house of transformation, of sex, death, other people's money. And mm-hmm. really, I would say... I want to open a bar called the eighth house. The eighth house. Yeah, nobody steal the... There's probably one somewhere. It's also the house of your needs. Yeah, how you get them met, met. to some degree. Yeah, yeah in right. a lot of ways. Yeah, but yeah, it's death, sex, and taxes, they always say. You know, it's that shit that's going to change your life on yeah. a deep level. It has to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm, exactly. And how you blend with, you know, how you blend your material possessions with other people, too, to some degree, which is that sort of Taurus. You know, Taurus is how do you deal with your material possessions for yourself, mm-hmm. but then the polar opposite, like you said, is Scorpio. So, oh, now we just walked through Libra. We got ourselves a partner, but now we got to merge our shit in the eighth house. Exactly. Because Taurus and Scorpio are polar opposites. Exactly. Uh, Ninth house, Sagittarius. 
And so this is the house of travel, of learning, of expansion. Yeah, knowledge, personal growth. Yeah. Um, I love the ninth house. I always find it a little confusing at times in charts, like how to read it sometimes. But ultimately, I just plug myself back into that Sagittarian vibe of like, oh, well, it's how I like get to know myself better, you know, and make myself better to some degree. Um, and I think Sagittarians in general are very much about that, you know, like how do I get to know myself while having a good time doing it? Yeah, they sure do know how to have a good time doing <laughs> it. Yeah, I always say they're the life of the party. So on some level, like your ninth house kind of rules, like how do I enjoy, you know, like getting out into the world? Yeah. And then the 10th house is the Capricorn house. It's the house of career. Mm -hmm. This is the boardroom. Yeah. And the beginning of the 10th house is what is known as the midheaven. Uh, it's the line that begins your 10th house. I always refer to it as your life purpose line hmm. because on some level, their 10th house, your career, it's sort of what you're driven to sort of accomplish. So you can even look at the sign that rules your 10th house as the way, the energy in which you want to you know, use to make your mark on the world. Yeah, what you will be known for yeah. is one way to think about the midheaven. Yeah, so then that leads itself into the 10th house, which as you were saying, career, you know, and life goals on totally. some level. Yeah. And then the 11th house is the house of humanity, friendship. It's the Aquarius house. Yeah. So it's the house of community. Yeah, we say it's sort of like, you know, how you connect to the world at large. Yeah. You know, so um, whether that be in community, organization, large groups, um, you know, yeah, it's the Oprah house. And then the 12th <laughs> house is the Pisces house and it's the house of mystery. Mm. It's the house of psychic knowing, the house of the invisible world. It's also sometimes known as like the house of undoing, just in the sense that like in the 12th house are the hidden things. So sometimes if you aren't able to notice what's in there, it can be your undoing until you're able to bring it into the light. Yeah. So for example, Angel and I both our 12th house sons, mm -hmm. meaning that our son is in the 12th house. For Angel, he's an Aries son in the 12th house. I'm an Aquarius son in the 12th house. This means that we are intensely private and that our son, our soul, <laughs> we said on our, on our podcast. podcast. But the <laughs> truth is that we're intensely private people. And there's many days where Angel and I will just kind of like orbit around each other, not saying too much Completely. because we're deeply trapped in our own inner world. Yes. But knowing that we have this tendency to be 12th house sons, having this language of astrology has given us the tools we need to like really work at communicating. Because both of us sometimes like would rather just not say anything to each other and just be stewing in our own shit. Mm -hmm. And we both now know that we have to draw the other one out so that we can be more communicative yeah and i don't know about you but i have found it so interesting how many 12th house son friends i've oh pulled my gosh, into my I life know, me too my mom's a 12th house son actually yeah it's interesting like we sort of collect each other because i always say if you have a 12th house son you sort of feel like a little bit of an alien in the world yeah totally. so you, so you collect like other connect. aliens but you know then we're just being specific to that but i think that was a good way to sort of help explain it and i always sort of say like your chart kind of houses all these little equations yeah. which is essentially you know house plus sign plus planet equals this you know so it all becomes you know it is all mathematical at the end so of the day for example since somebody asked about mars and scorpio yeah so we were i was going to use mars and scorpio as an example so mars being the planet that rules action um, you know, so it's essentially like how you get shit done in the world. Your vitality, your life force. Yeah. So having that Scorpio Mars, 
uh, just natally would, you know, really mean that you sort of, you know, you have a very intense sort of, you know, um, way about getting shit done. All or nothing. Yeah, you're very all or nothing with it. So either you attach like a complete passion to it and want to like go all the way or you sort of realize quickly that, "Mm, you know what, I'm not into this and I'm going to cut bait and go. And this came up because Lena, our last guest, has mm. Mars and Scorpio. Yeah. And if you look at the way that she really attacks her projects, yeah, she's all or nothing. Definitely all or nothing. She's very Mars and Scorpio. Yeah. She's going to push until she, you know, either can't get it done and is like, all right, moving on. Or she's going to push till she gets done, which is essentially what she usually does 90% yeah. of the time. For sure. Yeah. But there's very much like a passion there, a drive. And because Scorpio is a water sign, there's a lot of, there's like an intuitive element to it. Also, mm-hmm. as well, like this is something that needs to get done that's important for the sort of deeper meaning of things because Scorpio is all about like the deeper elements of things, like yeah. what's underneath the surface, the depths. the depths. So, there is a real drive to sort of push pe- others toward the depths as well. So, if you think about, let's say, using then this equation, if you have Mars and Scorpio, let's say, in the seventh house, mm. then, well, honey, look out because you're going to be really intense when it comes to relationships. Relationship. Yeah. You're going to be like pushing yourself, you know, to a point where you, you know, have to be careful not to be like steamrolling over the partner. You know, you have to learn how to like, whoa, calm it down, slow it down, or not like, go all in like quickly whereas if you have a mars and scorpio in the 12th house you know that can be well look high frequency you're like doing everything from like a really sort of almost psychic level low frequency from a drunk level yeah you gotta be careful because you might fall yourself you're just high all the time yeah you might get yourself into a place where you can't deal with the intensity of you know as brandon said the 12th house that unknown and your connection to the unknown. So you sort of have to numb yourself to, you know, that. Great. And that leads us into our third act of our basic astrology for non-basics, which is really about um, what's known as synastry. Because there were a lot of questions coming in about how to use astrology to help you get information about potential partners, particularly romantic partners. Yeah, people want to know how to love. People want to know how to love and how to be in love and attract people in love. So synastry is the practice of putting two charts together. Yeah to understand the relationship between those two charts. Yeah, and uh, specifically, there's like a synastry chart, which sort of puts them almost like right on top of each other. So you sort of see where your planets line up. There's also um, a composite chart, which basically takes the two and sort of blends them together and makes one brand new chart. That's sort of the relationship chart. Um, which I really like to work with when I work with relationship readings. Yeah, I forget who said this, but there's always three people in the room. It's like you, me, and the relationship. Mm-hmm. And to make the relationship the third person in the room and to try to service the relationship over each individual party yeah, is a really great way to like have healthy relationship. You know? Yeah. So it's interesting, I think, to look at a synastry chart or look at the composite so you can actually see what that like third partner is that relationship looks like we've never done it though i mean I've done you've done it without me <laughs> being present yeah i've done it we have a, it's very 12th halcyon yeah so, we're yeah. just like all in that pisces house yeah we're in the spiritual realm hello we're sitting in a spiritual hello room, doing a spiritual podcast. the spiritual gays are here that's, that's our relationship um but uh 
you know, I think it is interesting, you know, to look at how do I love. And I think, you know, the basic version is, oh, I'm a fire sign. So you, you, I get along with other fire signs. You hear a lot of that, I think. Um, but really, it is important to learn about your chart. And, you know, I think there are certain areas of your chart that are important. The seventh house being one, since it is the house that rules your relationships. So as we were saying, um, you know, look at what uh, sign rules that chart because that's an energy that um, you're attracted to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, for better or worse, but there are elements there that are important to pay attention to. Um, but then it's also interesting to look at like what planets fall into your seventh house, for instance, and how you connect to those. So, you know, that being if you have Venus in Libra in the seventh house and you're a you know, Scorpio, a Libra could be an interesting combination for you because Venus, the relationship planet, sits in your relationship house in in Libra. So there's real, you know, an interesting energy in Libra for you and how you relate to someone. You always talk about the moon signs being something. I think that's really important. Yeah, I think it's I think it's almost more important to know what your prospective partner's moon is over their mm-hmm. sun. Because again, if you're in a romantic relationship or intimate relationship, it's really about meeting the needs of your partner. And that moon is really your gateway into their love language. Yeah. So I'd always say, you know, if you're interested in like, oh, is this a good partner for me? Yeah, like Brandon said, check your moon. I would say check their Venus. Yeah, because Venus is the ruler of love, beauty, and relationships. Yeah, how does that meet up with me, you know? Um, And then I would say check their Saturn. Ah. Saturn is essentially like, you know, where like daddy or mommy issues can live. And you may not want someone who's like Saturn sits on top of your moon. That being said, you may want that if you're like, I need to work through this shit, then yeah. that relationship is going to help unlock the door to like, you know, because Saturn is the planet that rules our greatest fears, limitations, but also like where we need to grow up. Our soul contracts. Yeah. So it's like, all right, well, this is a soul contract relationship and it's going to help me learn how to like adult into loving myself more. Yeah. So, you know, some relationships I think uh, are easier than others. But I think those are like, you know, good places to look. But I always feel like if people like relate to your chart in like a good way in the seventh house, in the fifth house, in that eighth house of sex, if that's what you're really looking for, then how is that going to work out? Uh, you know, but, you know, those I think are the ones. And obviously also, sorry, I almost forgot the fourth house as well because it is family. So in home. Yeah. yeah. So if you're driving yourself toward that too and you meet someone who's, you know, sort of makes a good combination to your whatever it is in the fourth house, um, you know, if your fourth house is ruled by Libra and you meet a Libra, then, you know, as long as their other stuff isn't, you know, messing up in other areas of your chart, that's a good option too. So Again, it's it's a little more complicated than just like, oh, you're a Libra, then you should definitely date an Aquarius. Yeah. Um. So I think we're gonna have to wrap it up, but you know, we again, we didn't get to every question because we had so many, and we also didn't really sort of do this in a traditional like. Our next question is from blah blah. We kind of just took the questions and synthesized them to try and just give a little astro one hundred and one. Um. So we hope uh, that that was helpful and we definitely will do a a 201 i think and probably take some of those questions that we didn't get to um and approach them in the next one as well yeah i would say as your capricorn moon teacher 
your homework assignment, if you choose to accept it, would be to look at your birth chart and just write out like, what is my rising? What is my moon? What is my sun? Yeah. And just start to work with those three. Just start to work with those three. And then next time we have a 201, we can talk about all the planets, you know, Mars, Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Pluto. And then you can start to see where those are. Mm -hmm. And that just adds more depth and complexity. And then, you know, if we were to do like a 301, we would talk about the aspects, which is like squares, quincuxes, trines, sextiles. And these are the types of relationship that all of your planets or asteroids are having with each other in your chart. I can't wait for 1001. What's 1001? I don't know yet. Not that far, <laughs> but I know it'll come. So yeah, just start there. Just start with your triple tier, sun, moon, rising, and see what that might illuminate for you. Yeah, but thank you everyone again for sending in your questions. It was so exciting to get so many great ones. And I'm sorry we couldn't get to everyone and everything, but we will yes, for sure. We've got them written down and we are not going to lose them. I guess it's time now to draw the tarot card of the week yeah so if you can close your eyes and tune in as i shuffle that's cool if you have to tune in without closing your eyes because you're operating a vehicle or walking your dog that's cool as well yeah i'm closing my eyes for you but just know that this message will resonate at a future place in time so whenever you are listening to this this is the message for you and this is just one card that's going to guide us forward something we can attune to an intention Uh, a lens through which we can look through. So I'm just going to shuffle them one more time. The anticipation is killing me. So I just pulled the Eight of Pentacles for us. Tell me more. So the Eight of Pentacles really is talking about work. Pentacles is the realm of physical reality. So I always think when a Pentacles card shows up, we're looking at your body, your bank account, your career, your house, your car. And the eight of pentacles is really when we are tending all of our goals. And it's about keeping your nose to the grindstone. It's about expansion. It's when things are starting to bloom. You're starting to see some of the benefits from all of your hard work. It's a harvest card, but it's also saying like, keep going. You're not at the end yet. You're not at the 10 of pentacles. You're only at the eight of pentacles. So I think... It's very tempting when you start to see some benefit from your hard work showing up that you start to ease off. And what this card would say is like, don't ease off, keep moving forwards. I think it's important with the Eight of Pentacles to remember why you wanted this dream in the first place. It's not just about the how am I going to bring this into the world, but it's why. I think that's a really great motivation that keeps us moving forwards when we realize like, oh, there is still more hard work to be done, but we want that hard work to be motivated from the heart, from the excitement of the why, why this dream is important. So it might be a good time for you just to tap back into why are you doing the work that you're doing in the first place? And if you're not that excited about it, then maybe it's time to rejigger what it is that you're doing. Eight of Pentacles. The hard work continues. Your star is about to be born. We have a lot of gratitude to end this show on. First of all, to all of you, our gazers, this show would exist without you, but it would be real sad because it would just be Angel and I recording and then nobody would listen. (laughs) Seriously, we're so grateful to everyone for listening, for communicating with us. Yes, thank you for your questions and your comments and your direct messages. Yeah, you can um, email us at thespiritualgaze, G-A-Y-Z, at gmail.com with all your questions. We got a website, which is thespiritualgaze.com. Yeah. 
and uh, you can find us on Instagram at the spiritual gaze and yeah send us DMs there with questions or just comments we'll yeah. get back to you as we can or on Twitter as well at spiritual gaze no the on Twitter and a big thank you to our neighbor Carl as always the living embodiment of the spirit of technology for making sure we sound good that everything yes. records and uploads we couldn't do this without him yeah to Justin Simeon for his fantastic little musical for his gorgeous interstitial music and yeah, to you, honey. And to you, babe. And to Noche. To Noche. Thank you all. Until next time, this has been your moment in The, the Spiritual, Spiritual Game. Game.